Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, this week has been quite an interesting week in my life. I came across something this week that was handed to me that I really treasure. Now, most of you might not be so excited about what I have, but I'm holding here in front of me, and I want to hold it up for you. This little worn-out piece of paper, this document that I have, this little mini notebook, has on it titled, Specifications for the Construction of a Church Building for International Baptist Church. And it's dated March 1968. Now, you do the math. Where were you in 1968? Maybe even before your parents were even married. I don't know. But I know this, that there was a group of people that had a vision for bringing the gospel to the island here in such a way that it will be presented both with clarity and correctness, with compassion and relationships. And they were looking for a place to meet. And so they started downtown a little bit, one of the little civic centers that they had. Many of you will remember maybe that back then. And then they decided that we really would like to move out here. This would be more of the epicenter of our island here at Nuuanu, up on the Pali. What a beautiful place. But this place already had a house on it, and they really couldn't build a church on it. So the founding pastor, Jim Cook, went then, and he asked them a question and said, now, if you're ever interested in selling that house, we would sure like to buy it. We're looking for it to establish a church here on this property. And the lady, bless her heart, had her own vision of God, perhaps, and she said, there is no way I would ever sell this land to any church over my dead body. Well, he said, if you're still interested, here's my card and all of that. And they ended, and he was very gracious about that turndown. But it wasn't too long after that, maybe only six months, that he received a phone call from the family. The family then said that that lady actually did die. And I'm not smiling over that. I always grieve over anyone who died for any reason, and she probably died without Christ. But the family said, we're ready to sell, and if you'd like to buy this property, you can have it. So the pastor and people just like you that had a burden to reach others for Christ and wanted a sense of place, they got a facility like this. Now, interestingly enough, though, this was just a piece of property right here here with a house that had to be taken down. And right over here where you've driven your car today, that was nothing more than part of the Nu'uanu stream, and there was no parking. And so, again, that group of people, very much like you, were very sacrificial in their giving and looked at what they had, and they gave as much as they could to maybe figure out a way to do this. Well, a miracle happened through a lot of prayer and the sacrifice of people. First of all, they found out that they could buy the little strip of land, that little dirt that's on the other side of the stream, but right up against the highway. And it was for sale, oddly enough, because nobody could use it for anything, for only $20,000. So for the entire length of our property, right on the poly, they bought that piece of property. But still, you couldn't park any cars on there. So they prayed and were trying to figure out what they could do. And they were given information that there were slabs of concrete that were improperly built or poured and they were just stacked up owned by the city and county of Honolulu. And so the pres- the pastor then called and found out about those and found out that they didn't have any need for them. So the mayor at the time said, "You know what we'll do? We're just going to donate those slabs of concrete." And they did and the pastor said, "There's no way we could uh, ever pick them up. We don't have the equipment." Mayor said, "Don't worry about it. We'll deliver them." So they laid down right across the stream slabs of concrete And then they tied them together with other pieces of cement so that now we have this parking. Well, now we have the land. We have the people. We certainly have the passion of commitment of people that wanted this to happen, but they still had no building. And now 
they put together these specs. And I see some of you heritage families that are here. You might want to look at this to see what it looked like back in 1968. We still have the original plans of this building in a special room that's kept away from maybe any damage. And we've referred to them from time to time for electrical systems, where our lot lines are, where we needed to do some special plumbing and, and maybe some sewage. So we were looking at those plans from time to time. Now you're wondering, why am I telling you about all of this with the Book of Romans? It's because there was some schematics that maybe to us today, they're nothing more than a dusty document that might be kept in some closet somewhere. But it was because of the vision of what the need was that they put these plans together. And the beauty of it all is, is that they followed these plans to the letter of the architect's drawings of them. That's why you can come in here. This building is the same building that was built over 40 years ago. And it's safe in here. We feel like we can come in without any fear of it falling down upon us. And it has withstood hurricanes and a lot of other issues that have been here on this island. It's built strong. Well, I'm holding before you, and many of you have these on your lap, or maybe even in your little uh, smartphones, the Bible. And in this Bible is a book that's called Romans, which is really not so much a book as it is a letter. It was a letter that was written to the people at Rome and by extension to us today. And so you might just see it as a, a dusty old book, and you might see it today's message as I go with the background a little bit, not so much of um, the history of the book, but a little bit more of what this book is today to us and how we need to begin to apply it, getting ready for next week as we go verse by verse. But I want you to know that these are plans by which God has laid down for you and me to be able to know the master architect of our life. And if we trust him, the ministry of the Spirit and the plans that he has in the scriptures here, then we can then have him help us build us to be all that we should be and like the character of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to kind of open up the book of Romans and we're going to go from chapter 1 to chapter 16 and kind of look at it and I'd like to give you a little introduction to the book. Not so much the history and how much value it had throughout church history but just the actual book. Some of you, you could remember maybe as you're flying in here to our island, you're at 34,000 feet and then they, strop, they start dropping it down and as you get over the big island and maybe over Maui, they're down to about 10,000 square feet and you're looking at the little screen on the seat in front of you and you're getting a little closer to the ground and you're looking out the window and you can see more and when Carol and I come in, we look over East Oahu trying to find, well, we can't see our house, it's too tiny, but we see the big condo that's near our house and so we're trying to spot it all. Well, today... We're going to kind of fly over the book of Romans and give you an understanding so that next week you will know what is this book that we're going to study and why is it so vital for us in our walk with the Lord. Now let's talk to some of you that are more serious about your Bible study. You want to know, how do I really get to know the word accurately? Well, we find that if you ask it questions, that you will find then the answers to those questions. And if you ask them the right questions, you will get the right answers that will help you to really understand the book. So today, what I've done for our message, our sermon, is to ask the book of Romans some important questions so you too could know the background. Let's ask you a question now. How many of you did not know the story about how this church came into existence as far as a campus building until you heard it this morning from me? Would you raise your hand? All right. See how many. Well, now you know, and I hope that when you drive on top of that slabs of concrete, you won't worry about them caving in, but you will know that they're an answer to prayer, that they have meaning. Well, today, I'm giving you the background, maybe some slabs of concrete of truth, so that next week, as you drive across this and begin to learn about it, you can apply it to your life. 
So let's begin to ask the first question. Who wrote the book of Romans? Now, if I ask most Christians today, and maybe even religious people, they would say the person who wrote the book of Romans would be none other than the Apostle Paul. Now, how do we know that Paul wrote the book? Well, let's look to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment, and you're going to get a little bit of a clue of who wrote this book. So we're looking at Romans chapter 1, and just look in verse 1. You don't have to go very far to find out who wrote this book. But I'm going to give you some special information that might make it even more interesting to you. So let's look at Romans chapter 1. Notice how it starts out by saying, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It's interesting because back in the Bible days, you know the word scroll. And a scroll means something that is rolled up, a document that's rolled up. Well, back in those days, if you received a letter, which would be in a scroll fashion, you'd get this big scroll, kind of like a... A roll of, um, a roll of um, hand towels, okay? Now, as you would do this, if you waited to see who wrote you that, you'd have to take that roll of hand towels and roll it all the way to the end, and you have to walk all the way to the end of the scroll and see who wrote it. So back in the Bible days, what they would do is they would put at the beginning who this was from and then who it is to at the very beginning of the scroll so you'd have a better understanding of it. Now, sometimes if... We would do that today. We would understand who wrote it. I'm finding that in a lot of emails and memos today, if you open it up, you're going to see who's it to, who's it from, what's the subject, and how many other people should get a copy of whatever that document is. So we know that Paul wrote this, and that's their style of doing it. They would write the name at the beginning of it rather than ending it at the very finish of the copy of it. Now, when we look at all of this, there's something else we might not need to know, is that while we refer to Paul being the writer of Romans... He actually wasn't the one who wrote the letters of this. If you will, leave Romans 1 now, and let's go to the very end of the book now, Romans chapter 16, and we're going to see who the actual person was that wrote it because he kind of tucks a little message in to the people that are going to receive this letter. So we're going to look here at chapter 16 and verse 22, and it says, I, tortillas, not tortilla like a Mexican piece of food, it's tortillas, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. So here is likely what is happening. Paul, as you know, has a passion for people to know Christ. He wants them to know the gospel. He wants to know them how to walk with the Lord and how to live for the Lord. And he wanted to take that message globally wherever he went. And so I can only imagine the kind of personality he was, probably a strong, dominant, driven type A individual. He's probably walking back and forth, And he's getting these messages from the Lord, and I'll explain that in a moment. And as he's doing this, he is now dictating it to someone who was feverishly taking those notes. Now, writing it down as fast as... Now, why didn't Paul do this? The best guess that we have from other writings in the Bible was the fact that he had trouble with his eyes. And I can relate to that, folks. Some of you know that already. So having the trouble with his eyes and not being able to see very clearly, the Lord gave him an amanuensis. Now, that's a big word for you. That's nothing more than a personal secretary that would then copy down what he wrote. Now, for some of you that are outside the faith, you might be thinking, is this just something about Christianity that Paul himself concocted, that he kind of came up with it? Not really. So now I'd like you to leave Romans, but we will be going back to that. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 1 now. 2 Peter chapter 1. Once I give you this verse, it's all going to tie together so you can understand that really Romans and all of Scripture is nothing more than God's mind on paper as it is presented to us through writers. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and see what it has to say for us here. 
If you look toward the end of chapter 1, you're going to read this phrase beginning at verse 20. It says, but know this first of all. In other words, this is very important, so grab a hold of this truth. That no prophecy of Scripture, that means no foretelling, nothing that's found in Scripture, nothing that God wanted us to know, as a matter of one's own interpretation. It doesn't mean that uh, this person sat down here and decided that he's going to now create a document to say this is what God is all about. It's not of any private message that he got all by himself, that he decided to write it on a dark, stormy night. So it didn't come from him. It's not his own private writing, his own surmising about God. He did not create God and put it in written fashion. Now, verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. So in other words, no person sat down and said, I am now going to write what I want people to know about God. They would write only what God wanted them to know about God. So look at the last phrase of verse 21. It says, But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I like that. But men moved by the Holy Spirit because they spoke from God. So maybe a best way to look at that would be to answer it this way. Who is the writer of Paul uh, of Romans? It would be Paul using someone that he dictated it to who actually did the handwriting of it. But he didn't come up with it. The author of the book of Romans would be, here it is, God, the Holy Spirit. So it is God, mind, on paper, as God, the Holy Spirit, moved the writer along to be able to record this in Scripture. So it wasn't like the Lord was whispering words down. It was God using the individual's personality and their background to blow into them, so to speak, the message that he wanted them to write and then wrote it down and preserved it for us today. So technically, who's the author of Romans? It would be God the Holy Spirit. Who'd be the writer of Romans? It'd be the Apostle Paul using someone that he had dictated to. So that's a little bit about who wrote it. But the bigger question is, is who in the world is this Paul that we're talking about? Tell us a little bit about him. And to do that, I'd like to um, maybe give you a, a, a 3D picture of Paul. And this 3D picture of Paul would be a little bit from his culture. How many of you have ever been to a 3D movie? Would you raise your hand? I, I have not been yet. How many of you have those special glasses that you can take to a 3D movie? Would you raise your hand? I don't know. If they give you those, you got them at your house, whatever. Carol, take down their names so if I ever go, I can borrow their glasses. No, I'm just joking. Back up here. So we're going to look at a 3D picture of Paul. When you see 3Ds, the importance of it is when you see a three-dimensional of Paul, you're going to be able to get a better understanding of why God selected Paul to be the one to record Romans so that we would have it today. He could have used Peter to do this if he wanted to. He could have used other people in the New Testament if he wanted to, but there was a specific reason that Paul was the one that was divinely designed by God first and then given the message to be able to write to us today. Now, that's important for us to know that because it gives us a greater understanding of a sovereign God and how he puts things together in time, in place, for his people to receive his glory. So let me give you those, if you don't mind. First of all, we know about Paul is that he had what we call a religious culture. A religious culture. So there's a religiosity about him. And the best way to explain what he was like in religion before he became a Christian would be if you would look in the book of Philippians now. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. I want you to know a little bit about his religious background because that's going to fit into who he is and why this book is so important for us today. All right? We're going to look now at Philippians chapter 3. Just look at a, a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 3 and help make little sense out of this. So let's look about who this Apostle Paul guy was. All right? 
Follow along, if you will, in verse 4. Paul, now writing to the Philippians, gives his personal autobiography in miniature. He says in verse 4, Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. In other words, I really have a lot going for me. And again, glory to God, but this is who I am compared to others who are just evil workers. Now it begins in verse 5. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Now that's a big mouthful in there. Well, beginning at verse 5, it says, Circumcised the eighth day. What that is saying is that he was Jewish because Jewish people, Jewish men were circumcised on the eighth day according to the law, which meant that he knew the law, he followed the law, his parents followed the law, and that he was circumcised as an identifiable Jewish person. Let's go a little bit further. It goes on to say then, not only was he circumcised of the nation of Israel, but he was also of the tribe of Benjamin. So he wasn't just a general Jew that kind of cross-pollinated between all tribes. He could trace his heritage back to the tribe of Benjamin. So he was a Jew of the nation of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So that kind of says it all in one statement of his background. Now it talks a little bit about his passion. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now what would that mean? All right, you have the Jews that believed the law. Then you had the Pharisees and their group that not only would interpret the law, but they were so committed to the law that they even developed their own traditions. And some of those traditions would show their passion to be as, quote, religious as possible. In fact, it says that if you would touch one of the Pharisees' garments while they were walking along, that Pharisee then would be claimed as unclean until he went through a cleansing process. And that's just one little tiny thing. So what he's saying is not only am I a true Jew, he says, I'm a step above the true Jew. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees here. He says, I'm really committed to this. Let's go a little bit further. goes on to say about his background that he says here, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So not only was he a Jew, not only did he know the law, he also wanted to enforce the law, and he was a persecutor of the church. Now, why is that important? All right. If you follow the life of Paul, especially in the book of Acts, you're going to find that Paul was known to look for other Christians. And when he would go to find those other Christians, he would then take them away to be persecuted to the point of being thrown in jail, even to the point of being martyred. At one time, he was going to an area taking men, women, and children, Scripture says, and they were getting ready to do some martyrdom, and the guys that he was with decided that there was one martyr that had to die, and that would be Stephen. When they did, they handed the cloaks to Paul while Stephen was being executed for the faith. And you might say, that doesn't make a lot of sense, so watch up here very carefully. He was very pro-God, but he was very anti-Jesus Christ. And so it was during that time, shortly thereafter, that he then came to know that Jesus Christ is God. And that was the conflict that was going on. So basically, and simply stated was, he was a, a Jew. We would call him the ultimate Jew at that time. So his culture is Jewish. What meant very well that he could speak into the Jewish mind, into the Jewish culture, that he would have great influence, especially because he was a Jew. He knew how they thought. He grew up in Judaism, but now as being a Christian, that take him to another level. Well, that's one dimension, but there's another dimension. He was also very Greek. And if you look at Scripture, you're going to find many things that would talk about how he came back from the Greek culture. And I thought about the Greek culture and how important that really was. Now, if you will... See if you could imagine with me for a moment a map of the Middle East and, and Europe. 
Way up here at the top of the map, you're going to see a place that today we would call Turkey. In that area, it would be called Tarsus, Paul of Tarsus. That was the same place that Jonah was having issues with, Tarsus. When you come down from Turkey, you're going to get near Syria and Lebanon. Then you get into northern Israel. So he was kind of all through that area as a Jew. Now, Tarsus was a pretty big city, pretty important city. In fact, it was like the Athens of the Middle East. It had the world's largest library, so it was an intellectual center at that time as well. It was on the coast, so a lot of ships would come in, and there'd be a lot of trade that would go on. So it was a wealthy city. People of all different faiths and belief systems and cultures would come in there. So he started there, so he knew the world cultures coming in through Tarshish. Then he would go into Jerusalem in the area of Israel. Why? Because he was a Jew. That was part of his heritage, although he came from Tarshish. Then from there he went to Greece. And in Greece, he had tremendous ministry there, but his language was the common language of the Roman Empire. Now some of you, when you hear that, you would think, well, Roman Empire probably spoke Latin. Not so. They really spoke Greek. Now, for some of you, in the weeks to come, when I use the phrase, in the Greek it says da-da-da-da-da, you need to know a little bit about that so I don't have to keep repeating it. So let me explain. There were two types of Greek primarily in the New Testament days. One would be your classical Greek that was rarely, if ever, spoken. It might be read through some of the Greek classics. It was written in classical Greek. But you didn't speak classical Greek. You spoke a Greek that was known as Koine Greek. Very simple. It would be like street language Greek. It was the language that most of the people spoke. So now take this with you. First, he was a Jew. He wasn't Greek. He wasn't a Gentile. But he lived during a time that the common language of the people was Koine Greek. So he knew about the Greek culture. He could speak the Greek language. He knew the cultures of all the people, although himself was Jewish. But there's one other thought that we need to keep in mind, which brings him into the third area, and this would be, we could call it a political culture, or you might call it a Roman culture as well. Back in those days, it was very prestigious for you to be what is known as a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship gave you free access to go anywhere in the Roman Empire you wanted to go. It gave you a lot of extra privileges. Now, how did you become a Roman citizen? Well, one way to do it is to be born into a Roman-type family. You could be born into that by birth. The second way you could get it is by buying your way into that. So you could get it two different ways to become a Roman citizen. In those days, they said generally one out of five people in the entire Roman Empire was really Roman. Interesting enough, although Paul was Jew of the Jews, he was also very much immersed into the Greek culture and spoke it fluently and was trained by these, he also was a Roman citizen that gave him access to travel, just like I mentioned, Tarshish, all the way into the Middle East, down into the area of, of, of Israel, on over into the entire Macedonian area, going on into the area of Italy, and then himself wanting to go as far as Spain. That's part of our story today. Now, why am I telling you all of this? First of all, God has a message that he wanted the people during the Bible days to know that salvation was by faith alone in Christ alone. He also wanted that message to be taken throughout all of civilization, throughout all of time. And God chose someone that had the ability to be able to speak that. A Jew of Jews to speak from the Old Testament and have knowledge of it from that culture. One who could speak Greek then and knew how to speak the language of the people to be able to communicate it. Someone who was a Roman citizen that could go anywhere and everywhere. So he, in a sense, was divinely designed by God. Can you imagine with your sanctified imagination for just a moment. The Lord has this message. 
He says, now is the time that Jesus is to be born. Now is the time that this message needs to get out. I need to have someone that is properly equipped with the proper personality, the proper gifting, the proper ability, the proper uh, experiences. I need to get the right kind of person. So then he then, through the circumstances of God's sovereignty, Paul comes into being. Now let's come up for air for just a moment. I think all of us will agree that Paul was the man for the hour for the Bible days. He wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Now, how does this fit in with you and me? I don't believe that Paul is any better of a person, so to speak, than you and I are. I believe that he is divinely designed by the Lord, but I also believe that every single one of you are divinely designed by the Lord, that each one of you was in God's mind before you were ever in your mother's womb, and that's why another reason we stay so strongly for pro-life, and that God had a plan for your life from the very beginning. It has been his desire that none should perish. And I believe so much that God had his will for you to hear this message today and perhaps even come to faith alone in Christ and that God has a purpose for you. When I speak with young people, I like to remind them that God has a plan for their life and they need to discover that will, that plan, no matter the cost, and then live it out no matter the cost. Each one of you have that plan. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.